welcome. You're listening to a sermon podcast from Oak Hills Church in Folsom, California. Well, it's very good to be with you once again. If you are new or don't know me, my name is Kent Carlson. I used to be one of the pastors here at Oak Hills. It's not often I get to speak when Lucan's... Oh, he's already left. Right? What a bum. Uh, that's good. But uh, he's... Uh, he had a crazy busy week out of town, and so he asked me, and I just love the opportunity to continue on in your study of radiant life and in your study, particularly here during Easter tide of the Colossians passage. But let's begin. So, we're talking about the area of forgiveness here. Let's begin with just a couple verses of scripture that are known to many people, even to many people outside the faith who haven't been to church in decades, because it's kind of one of those things that Jesus says that even in an increasingly post-Christian culture makes people stop and say, okay, what kind of a man says something like that? Is that really the kind of stuff that Jesus said? And could that really be an accurate description of who God is? Because if that's true, if that's actually the God who exists, well, I'm, I'm interested. I'd like to know more. Jesus says these words from the cross. Cross, an instrument of torture, where the person is nailed through his hands and feet to a cross-shaped piece of wood and then lifted up for everyone to watch him die this cruel and agonizing slow death. From Luke chapter 23, says this, When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. Listen to these words of Jesus once more. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. There's not uh, one of us, I suspect, in this place of worship today, if we even have the most rudimentary self-awareness that is not at some deep level and desperate to hear these words from Jesus today. Father, forgive him. Father, forgive her. Uh, because they don't know what they're doing. Jesus is on the cross here. He's dying this, this cruel, unjust death. And he prays for the forgiveness uh, for those who put him on this cross. And in a very real sense in the process, he prays for us as well. This teaches us something very important about God. And it is good for us to begin by reflecting deeply on this together before we move into the rest of the message. Sometimes the way people talk about what happens here on the cross, they almost make it into some kind of cold and legal thing. We owed a debt, Christ paid the debt, and now we don't owe anything. All that's wonderfully true. But that, that biblical metaphor is inadequate to fully capture the magnitude of what we learn about God here at the cross of Christ. If we just stick with this one debt-paying legal metaphor, we're going to miss something very important. Because, for example, if I owe $10,000 to the bank and one of you, because you like me, you just go and pay off the debt at the bank, the bank doesn't turn around and write me a letter that says my debt has been forgiven. They just send me a note that says my debt's been paid off. There's no room in this debt-paying legal metaphor for a robust understanding of God's forgiveness. If we're not careful, that metaphor can be reduced to a kind of legal transaction that takes place between Jesus and the Father and, and me. Now, it's an important metaphor. It's a biblical one, certainly. We should teach it. We should embrace it. 
But it's not the only thing the Bible teaches us about the crucifixion of Christ. Certainly some kind of interaction was going on between God the Father and God the Son at the crucifixion and the depth of this interaction is hidden deeply within the mystery of the Trinity and these Biblical metaphors are ways for our finite minds to try to grasp at least some small portion of this cosmic event. But in the midst of it all, it's good for us to stop and just simply, as a human being, hear the voice of Jesus saying these amazing words, Father, forgive them. Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. This teaches us very wonderful truth that our God is a forgiving God. It's who he is. It is his nature to forgive. This is one of the most astounding things that Jesus demonstrates to us through his life and through his teachings and and through his death. Jesus has come to demonstrate to us that it is the desire and the nature of God to forgive. My experience, both from a few years of being a pastor and more importantly from quite a few years of being alive, paying attention to the own messiness of my own heart, is that so many people walk around with this kind of heavy load of guilt and shame. A lot of us can hide it pretty well, but this guilt and shame ultimately shows itself in all sorts of ways. By our own inner condemnation, our own inner fears of being found out by others that we don't measure up. By the way, we sometimes easily condemn and judge others and seek to unload our guilt and shame by piling it on other people, even those who are the most dear to us, in the world. For many of us, the pictures in our minds of our moral failures, our sins, our inadequacies are, are so prevalent, so overwhelming, that it takes a lot of work to try and black those thoughts out of our mind just so we can you know, keep going with the day. And this is one of the most marvelous and amazing things about Jesus. He would walk around and forgive people as though he had the right to do this, as though he were God himself. The one against whom, in the final analysis, all sin is against. And perhaps the most important thing we will ever learn in our life with God is that God is not out to get us, to punish us, to destroy us, to harm us, to expose us to the world as the terrible sinners we are. But he desires to forgive us and to set us free. Because Jesus came to give us life. And that we would experience this life in all its abundance. Now this morning what I'd like us to do is to take this truth that Jesus demonstrates to us that our God is a forgiving God. And reflect for a while together that this truth of God's forgiving nature is a clear and unmistakable invitation for us to become people ourselves who are learning how to routinely and easily forgive. So let's begin with the invitation we receive from God to be people who forgive. If you'd stand please. Uh, We're going to read a couple passages of Scripture. The first is the one that we've been reading throughout Eastertide, this time between Easter Sunday and and Pentecost. And uh, we've been reading it together. So let's read this passage from Colossians chapter 3 together. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let's look, uh, while you're still standing, let me read a passage of scripture from the Sermon on the Mount. 
where Jesus kind of elaborates on this thought from Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 15. It's a passage that most are somewhat familiar with. Jesus says to his disciples, uh, this, well, to the people who are gathering, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And then Jesus goes on. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks. You can be seated. Now, these are very, as you can tell, very strong words uh, that Jesus speaks here. And I will, uh, I will not do anything to try to take the sting away because Jesus said them, and he said them in these ways in order to be provocative, in order for his words to get under our skin and to infect us and ultimately to transform us. Jesus makes here a very direct connection between our forgiveness of others and his forgiveness of us. He is saying here quite clearly that we will not experience his forgiveness if we're not able to forgive others. Now, I don't believe that this is some kind of punishment uh, that God is giving us here. Like maybe we tell our children that if they can't be nice to their brother or sister, then they won't be able to have a treat when they go to bed. Whether we say this as a form of punishment or as a way to coerce certain behavior, I, I don't think that's how Jesus is saying it here at all. I believe his words simply teach that to live fully in the reality of God's kingdom, we must become a certain kind of person. And this certain kind of person is a person who forgives. Or to put it another way, to live in the reality of God's kingdom, to experience his forgiveness, we must become the kind of person who is able to forgive others. It is as though forgiveness is the air that we breathe in the kingdom of God. The point here is not that God's saying, okay, you didn't forgive your sin, so I'm not going to forgive you. That'll teach you, you sinner. Really what he's saying is, is that when we do not forgive our friend or our enemy, we are demonstrating the type of person we desire to be. We are, in a sense, declaring uh, whose kingdom we wish to live in. If we wish to live in a kingdom without forgiveness, God will let us. It's our choice. Well, I know I dove right into there, so let's slow down for a few minutes and try to deal with a few of these issues or, or questions that... Uh, I suspect may be on some of our minds. And I know I haven't just traditionally given the definition of forgiveness. I'm going to do it all along. And then I'll at one time later on, it'll hopefully, at least my understanding of forgiveness. But I think you'll pick it up as we go along. So first, let's realize that forgiveness, by the way, I do have notes, but I was such a, a slug and a bum to not get them in on time. But I believe they're in the app if you have that. Dave, an app is a thing on your uh, phone where you can actually see stuff. Um, So first, let's realize that forgiveness does not necessarily erase the consequences of wrongdoing. Forgiveness doesn't erase the consequences of wrongdoing. Uh, Forgiveness doesn't mean that we must ignore what has happened in the past. Sometimes the things we've done wrong, uh, for example, don't go away, right? If I cut off my finger in a a fit of anger, I may be forgiven for cutting off my finger, but I still got to go through life without a finger. Forgiveness doesn't necessarily mean that we pretend that nothing happened. That might be foolish at times, actually, to have that kind of perspective. 
Forgiveness does not put an end to wisdom or discernment. Jesus told us in Matthew chapter 10, verse 16, that we are to be as innocent as doves, but also as shrewd as snakes. Forgiveness does not require that we must ignore past behavior. It just means that we give up the need to punish someone for it, to exact revenge, to hold a grudge over them. A person's wrongdoing uh, may mean that we have to make tough decisions to distance ourselves from them from time to time, maybe even break off relationship, perhaps at times to defend ourselves, perhaps bringing you know, police into the situation. But all this can be done amazingly so while still learning how to forgive them. Let's chase down another related issue and perhaps a misconception. Forgiveness does not mean that the wrongdoing must be forgotten. This is where we often hear people say, we're supposed to forgive and forget, right? And I have, over the years, have heard people say to me, it's obvious that he hasn't forgiven me. It's obvious that she hasn't forgiven me because they haven't forgotten. And they point to passages of Scripture that describe God as not remembering our sins. Um, now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but I think we have to be careful here of uh, this over-literal way of interpreting Scripture and creating an image, an understanding of God who develops this kind of divine forgetfulness where he simply can't remember something that happened. I think the point here is that God is perfectly capable of not allowing the fact of the wrongdoing in the past to inappropriately influence his current behavior or attitude toward the forgiving sinner. You see, in my mind at least, we'd be silly pretending and dishonest to act as though we don't remember wrong that has been done to us when in fact we do remember it. What we're called to do in forgiveness is to seek to become the kind of person who does not take that wrongdoing and then put this person in a prison of our own making and interpreting all current behavior through the lens of their past mistakes and sins. In forgiveness, while past wrongdoing may be remembered, we are ready, if the situation warrants it, to give person a fresh start, clean slate. But it would be silly to pretend the wrongdoing is forgotten if it's not. And if the wrongdoing continues, then while we may forgive that person in the sense that we will not seek revenge or seek to punish them, still it will be very important to remember uh, the wrongdoing. And let the memory of their behavior inform our decisions as to how to have a relationship with them in the present. Putting it simply, if a person, for example, borrows money uh, from you, like Dick Lane has a bunch of times and uh, not gotten it back, <laughs> and he doesn't pay it back, it is our duty as a follower of Christ to forgive them for this, and that we are not to seek revenge. But it does not follow that I need to lend them money the next time they ask because we supposedly forgot about it. Uh, now, we may lend them money again. I'd love to, Dick. Uh, if, if we desire, and God will honor that. But we are not required to act as though the obvious wrong behavior never happened or isn't happening still. While we're called to be innocent as doves, we're also called to be shrewd as snakes. We may still decide to take risks with people. But we're not required to pretend that it is not a risk. We simply just leave these results up to God. By, by the way, this is one of those sermons that I wish we were like sitting in a living room and we do this dialogically. We go back and you do the, yeah, but what about, but what abouts? And we kind of hear God's voice together understanding this because this is kind of the nitty gritty stuff and relationships we're getting at. But we don't have that opportunity. Uh, so let's go, keep going. The third issue or potential misconception 
that I'd like to bring up, and that is to remember that forgiveness is something that someone gives, not something that someone demands. Uh, I have often heard people say to other people that so-and-so, about other people, that so-and-so hasn't uh, forgiven them. And they're always wondering why that person can't get over it. And I always tell those people, well, have you forgiven them for not forgiving you? And they usually look at me kind of oddly at that point because they feel I put them in some kind of paradoxical double bind that they can't get out of. Because if not forgiving is a wrong that someone is doing, then that is something that we can forgive them for. But we don't want to. And we withhold our forgiveness for their lack of forgiveness. Forgiveness is just something that is given. It's never demanded. Not even, I would hasten to ask, add as well, to be expected. I guess it's okay to ask someone to forgive us. It's a tricky area, though, but it's okay. As long as there's no expectation for them to do so. As long as we're not asking forgiveness as a way to coerce behavior or to force a change of attitude or to try to get things to be the way they used to be. And usually when I'm encouraging someone to have no expectations about being forgiven, to respect the freedom of the other in this area, they will often tell me some variation of, but you don't know how hard it is to live with someone who won't forgive you. It's killing me. It's not fair. And I always say to them again, then this should motivate you to forgive them for their lack of forgiving. For you know now what it's like to not be forgiven. And so you should lead the way by forgiving them for not forgiving you. Let's move into another tricky area regarding forgiveness. How does forgiveness work when someone neither admits wrongdoing nor desires reconciliation? It's not at all uncommon for people to have to deal with people who have deeply wronged them, perhaps even hurt them badly, but who neither admit it nor desire any kind of reconciliation. In fact, the view of the situation that the non-repentant person has may be completely different, and they may believe that they're the ones who have been wrong. So what do we do in those kinds of situations? Perhaps someone has deeply and perhaps even brutally harmed you. Something horrible from your childhood. Or perhaps a business associate cheated you out of millions of dollars, or a rival or a competitor stole an idea of yours and became successful with it. Perhaps someone has spread rumors about you and harmed your reputation. Perhaps a coworker was working behind the scenes to undermine your project or to erode your support, sabotage your assignment. Perhaps someone stole your boyfriend, your girlfriend, perhaps even your spouse. Whatever it was, it is a rare person who walked through this life without running into a situation where they will be unfairly harmed by someone who doesn't think they've done anything wrong. What does forgiveness look like in those kinds of situations? See, one of the ways I think about it, there's kind of two tracks, two roads to walk down in this whole area of forgiveness. The highest and most beautiful and most redemptive track is the process of reconciliation. This is where two people, or maybe a group of people, who have been alienated from each other, are brought back together through humility, confession, brokenness, repentance, and forgiveness. But sometimes, uh, and sadly more often than we would desire, forgiveness is on another track, and it's entirely a unilateral thing. We are called to forgive someone who feels that they have done nothing wrong, or they simply have no desire to reconcile or to be forgiven. They see no reason for it. So what does it mean to forgive someone who does not admit their wrongdoing? 
and has no desire to reconcile. Well, I've touched on this several times already, but now let's take a moment and reflect on an important working definition of forgiveness. I believe the simplest way to describe this is that forgiveness in these situations and at the core of all forgiveness, ultimately, is simply the willingness to release the need for revenge. We release the need for justice to be done in this situation, or at least justice to be done according to my timeline. Or for us to be demonstrated to be right. It is truly a releasing of any grudges, a letting go of any consideration for payback, a letting go of the desire that the offending party gets what's coming to them. If we're any kind of student at all of the human condition, and if we're any kind of student at all of our own heart, we will know how tremendously is hard it is to actually do this. It's quite easy to say we release the need to exact revenge, to use the words, but to actually do it, to let it go, this is a kind of a rare thing to see. People often, if not usually, tend to hold on. We hold some stuff in reserve, ready to bring it out again when the time is right. But what is happening? What is going on in the life of the person who is actually able to let it go? to release the need to exact revenge, to release the need to be proven right, to make sure that the wrongdoer is punished or gets what's coming to him or her. Well, the person who's learning to forgive in this way, unilaterally, is demonstrating the fact that they are becoming a certain kind of person, a person who actually believes in Jesus and his kingdom. And the teachings of the kingdom of God are beginning to get worked right into the heart and soul of this person. They are learning how to breathe the air of the kingdom of God. And in so doing, forgiveness begins to become, over the course of a lifetime of pursuing this kind of formation, just like breathing. It comes natural. It is who we are actually becoming. We are forgivers. So the obvious question is then, how do I become a person who forgives easily? And the first thing I believe that helps us here is that we must become convinced of our own need of a Savior. Um, Jesus told a parable in Matthew 18 about a king who wanted to settle accounts with one of his subjects. The man owed him 10,000 bags of gold, but the man couldn't pay it. And so the king ordered that he and his wife and children should be sold into slavery and that all they had would be sold as well to pay the debt. The man pleaded with the king to be patient uh, and that he would pay everything back. And the king's heart was touched and he actually canceled the debt and let him go. Well, this man then, he went out and found a fellow subject who owed him just 100 silver coins. And he demanded that he get paid back, but the guy couldn't. And so the man who was forgiven his debt of 10,000 bags of gold threw the guy into jail who owed him just 100 silver coins. Well, the king heard about this, and he brought the man back to him, and he said to him, shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? And the king, in his anger, handed the man over to the jailers to be tortured, the Bible says, until he should pay back all he owed. And then Jesus says these piercing words. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you, unless you forgive a brother or sister from your heart. What Jesus is saying here, quite clearly, I think, is that the person who does not forgive others has no real sense of how desperately they need forgiveness themselves. He is saying that when we withhold forgiveness, we are believing that our forgiveness is essentially deserved. It was just what God should have done 
we're lovable sinners, actually. God just likes forgiving us, but perhaps not others. The truth is, we like holding on to our grudges. We love holding on to the ability to perhaps one day exact revenge. We love dreaming about the other person getting what's coming to them. This idea is precious to us. We gain power from it. We delude ourselves into thinking we can control others through it. This. And even though this shrinks our hearts and in many ways poisons our souls, we fully embrace it and we indulge ourselves in it. And we are only able to do so, I think, because we have never really come to grips with our own desperate need for forgiveness. Every person who over the long haul is unwilling, who is unwilling to forgive someone, is demonstrating clearly that they do not understand their own desperate need of a Savior. In these situations, we will find ourselves believing that we deserve our forgiveness, but the one who has wronged us does not. And by living in this way, we demonstrate how far we are from the kingdom of God and how far we are from believing that the teachings of Christ are the way to eternal life. The surest way to learn to forgive is to develop a deep and abiding sense of how desperately we need a Savior. Second truth regarding how we become a person who forgives easily is to see people as sacred creations of God. Usually the only way we're able to hold on to our rage, if it's there, our anger and our grudges, is to continually demonize the person who we're unwilling to forgive. We pass all information and data about this person, all our encounters with him or her through this grid we have developed that ignores anything good and exaggerates everything bad, and we end up creating a monster that is far worse than the reality. But we have a lot vested in this person remaining a bad person in order for us to feel justified with our lack of forgiveness. But what's the worst thing about this is that in the process we forget that this person is a creation of God. And he or she is precious to God. He or she is a person for whom Christ died. And within them is the mark of God himself. His image dwells within this person, no matter how marred it might be. And because of this, ultimately, this person deserves our love, our prayers, our awe, and our forgiveness. Final point regarding how to become a person who is learning how to forgive easily and that is how to learn to trust God to be God. There's a danger in presenting this message that uh, I've been concerned about, prayed about, worried about. And I've been around the block enough times to know that I, I just have to mention this here. Though every single one of us has done our own share of hurting others, there are some among us who have been severely and horribly harmed and abused by the people in your life. There's danger in a message like that, that, that harm that has come to you, those horrible things that were done to you, you may feel through my talking on forgiveness that I am minimizing it or trivializing it or making it of little account. And I'm so sorry if anything that I have said to this point might make you feel that because that, that's not my point. That's not my intention at all. I, I want you to know that. I am just as gently as I can asking us to consider that when Jesus invites us to forgive, it is because to not forgive, to hold on to our anger, our desire for revenge, that this ultimately will destroy us. I know there's a certain pleasure in revenge. We like watching those movies, right, where the bad guy gets it in the end. Everything, it seems, is made right. But some of us, for some of us, it can almost seem immoral to let it go, to forgive. It almost feels like it is a wrong thing to do so. 
But this is because we are trusting our revenge. We are trusting our own ability to make the world right. This is because we believe, and it's silly even say this, uh, because we believe, and, but I think if we reflect on this carefully, this will bear out. We believe that justice depends on us. Uh, and if we let it go, uh, we will have to trust someone else with this hurt, this pain, this injustice. And I'm saying this this morning as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that there is one ultimate judge in the universe. There is one God, and we can trust him. And if we forgive, if we release the need to exact revenge, if we let go of the grudge, the need to be proven right, the passion to make sure that the bad guy gets what's coming to him, we can trust God ultimately to clean all that stuff up. He will make the crooked path straight. We can trust God to be God. It's a terrible burden to be in charge of the justice in this universe, to make sure that nobody gets away with anything, especially as it relates to me. And that burden over the years will shrink our hearts, it will poison our souls, and we will never be free. And we won't learn how to love. At the end of the day, if we are followers of Christ, we must decide if we can truly trust him and trust his teachings. That when he calls us to turn the other cheek, to love our enemies, to pray for those who harm us, and to forgive those who sin against us, he is instructing us for our good. He is teaching us what it will be like to live in eternity. And we're going to have to learn it sometime, right? So it may as well be now. So let's take a time of reflection as, as we close. Um, if you close your eyes, get comfortable for, for a moment. I realize there's two groups of people when I'm trying to close this service a, a little bit. And um, First are those among us who have some work to do to forgive someone. And I know this is sacred ground here. Um, we realize that. But perhaps you have to forgive someone who is admitting their wrongdoing, how they've harmed you. They're sorry, they're repenting, they actually want to make it right. Or perhaps with someone who has harmed you and now they're dead. Or they want nothing to do with you. But somewhere in our souls we have held on to this. And I'm just saying um, it's time to start that process, if you haven't already, of letting that go. I know forgiveness is not like a one-time deal. It's a process. It's a journey. We keep dropping to different levels as it goes deeper. But let's just take a moment and we'll do what many people refer to as a breath prayer. It's that we breathe in. And as we breathe in, let our bodies, and you can see this on the screen, uh, you can peek through one eye if you want. Um, and as you breathe in, we say, God, you overflow with forgiveness. And as we breathe out, we say, fill me with forgiveness like yours. Let's try that together. Breathe in and say, God, you overflow with forgiveness. As you breathe out, say, fill me with forgiveness like yours. So place your hands in front of you. Let's do this a few times. Let's do this together. As we breathe in, God, you overflow with forgiveness. As you breathe out, fill me with forgiveness like yours. God, you overflow with forgiveness. 
fill me with forgiveness like yours. Once more. God, you overflow with forgiveness. Fill me with forgiveness like yours. And I know that this is a process and uh, a journey for many people. But the only thing I want to emphasize, this is an invitation from God to life, to spiritual health, to freedom. But finally, let me just say something here, because I know that there may be some here who need to know and experience more deeply the forgiveness of God. Some of us have been brought in and ho- up in homes or religious environments where the pervasive idea was that we're just not good enough, and that God was displeased with us. Some of us have a kind of default setting that says that God is always angry with us. He looks at us and he says that we have disappointed him. We haven't measured up. And that guilt and that shame infects and pervades our souls all the time. It's a kind of spiritual cancer. And we can find ourselves reflecting on all the things we've done wrong. All our sins. Some of those sins, it feels to us, are simply unforgivable. We, we are, perhaps we believe, at, at some level, irredeemable. Maybe God has to accept us in some fashion or form as a duty because that's what God does. But he doesn't really like us. He's kind of embarrassed of us, ashamed of us. Perhaps he wishes we did not exist. Some may believe that that which we have done simply cannot be made right. Our mistakes, our wrongdoings, our sin has marked us for the rest of our lives, perhaps forever. Like the young son who squandered his inheritance in the story of the prodigal son, it is a huge stretch to even believe, perhaps, that maybe God would accept me back as a slave in his kingdom. Of course, I could never be his son again. I could never be his daughter. I have sinned too greatly, but maybe God will let me be a lowly slave. But passage after passage and story after story in the scriptures tell us over and over again that our God is a God of scandalous grace. And not only does the Father receive the wayward Son, but because he has been standing on the porch looking and searching day after day with an anguished love from a long distance away, he sees his son in rags, limping home, and he runs out to meet him, and he embraces him, and he kisses him. And then he throws a party. An extravagant, luxurious, almost wasteful party because his son, who was lost, is now found. There should be no doubt in our minds what the attitude of God is toward the guilty sinner. He longs for him. He longs for her to come home. Not to be met with vengeful lectures and harsh punishment, but with a party. Party. And so here's the most wonderful good news. No matter what you have done, no matter how far you have strayed, No matter who you have hurt or how badly you have hurt them. No matter how far you feel you have walked away from God. Our Lord Jesus is here today not to condemn you, but to forgive you and to give you life. 
Jesus loved to say that when any sinner, no matter how vile in the world's eyes, when they would just begin to turn, just move their hearts ever so slightly toward God, that they were closer to the kingdom of God than all the hypocritical leaders of his day and most likely our own. It may be true that you have a hard time forgiving yourself, but please do not project that inability or unwillingness to forgive yourself unto God. He is here today not to condemn you, but to forgive you. Would you pray with me? Father, Son, and Spirit, it is a liberating thing to reflect on you and realize that you are the Father who anguishly has been looking for his child to return. And when they return, you throw a party. And there is greater, there is such great rejoicing in heaven when one person decides to come back, to come home, to receive forgiveness. And so as we go out into this world that is precious to you, we ask that you would send us out as people who have experienced your forgiveness and who know how to forgive and to invite people into this life in the kingdom of God where forgiveness is the air we breathe. And so as you go out today, uh, may the peace and the joy and the goodness and the forgiveness of God be with you all. Thanks for coming, everyone. <laughs>